Stuart Holman here. Welcome to our third daily devotional in our series on the Book of Acts. In our previous devotional, we looked at the growth of the Christian church in Jerusalem uh, as we surveyed Acts 2 through 5. The church then was clearly marked as the people of God by the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit. God was with his people in power. And yet, as they declared courageously the gospel of Jesus, they encountered opposition and persecution from the Jewish religious authorities. Well, now in Acts 6 and 7, we see an escalation of that persecution such that one of the prominent Christians named Stephen was stoned to death for blasphemy, even as he preached the Christian gospel. At the conclusion of the description of Stephen's stoning in Acts 1 verse 8, we're introduced to a character named Saul. He is standing by approving of Stephen's stoning. In the same verse, we also see the impacts of this escalation in persecution of the Christians of Jerusalem. A great and general persecution broke out against the Christians there, such that they dispersed themselves all throughout Judea and Samaria. They went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, which just rings a bell for us. Uh, we remember how back in Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so... This persecution in Jerusalem was like blowing on the, the seed pods of a dandelion. The, the wind of persecution spread the gospel seeds far and wide where they took root in all kinds of soil. The gospel spread rapidly and without any formal plan or, or controls, just because ordinary Christians needed to protect themselves. Now, we know how the gospel came to Judea, that's the region immediately surrounding Jerusalem, and even crossed over into Samaria, the home of those despised Samaritans. But just a quick thought. Um, I hope that if I was being crucified or persecuted or whatever for my faith so badly that I feared for my life and my family's lives such that we abandoned our home and had to run away from that persecution, I hope that as a refugee on the run, I would be ready to talk to everyone I met about the Lord Jesus. I, I, I look on the courage of these first Christians and I'm, and I'm in awe. Well, even as this persecution was happening, it seems that from verse 3, Saul led the continued persecution of Christians in Jerusalem, even as the apostles kind of stayed on in Jerusalem while others fled. So in verses 4 through 13, we read about one of those refugee Christians named Philip. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, 
And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. From a religious perspective, especially in the eyes of the pure Judaism of Jerusalem, Samaria was very much the religious Wild West. Their worship of God was always a, a melting pot of mixed religions. Certainly the God of Israel was worshipped there, but for the past 800 years it had been intermingled with all kinds of local pagan religions and the Assyrian religions. And so for Philip to confront sorcerers like Simon and all kinds of evil spirits, it really shouldn't come as a surprise to us. What does come as a surprise and a delight is that the entire spiritual realm is subject to the power of Jesus' name. All kinds of people hear the gospel and turn to Christ, even Simon. What happens next is very significant for the growth of the Christian church. Verse 14, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. This delayed gifting of the Holy Spirit in Samaria in that particular circumstance is no reason to assume that there will always be a kind of two-part process whereby a person becomes a Christian but then has to wait for some special apostle type person to come and lay hands on them before they receive the Holy Spirit. There is something quite different going on in this particular situation. This is all about building a unified Christian church. The effect of the apostles, the authorized witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, and the ones best equipped to teach the recognized teachings of Jesus, the effect of them coming to Samaria is to validate Philip's preaching and to confirm the inclusion of the Samaritan Christians into the same team, the Holy Spirit-constituted community of Christians that now spans from Jerusalem out to Judea and Samaria. Instead of the Samaritans splintering off and doing their own thing, forever divided from the Jerusalem Christians, the sharing of the Holy Spirit from the apostles brings the Samaritans into the same tent, uh, under the same leadership, on an equal footing. Simon's bid to buy his way into apostolic power demonstrates a couple of things for us. First, the importance of God-approved and recognized human leadership, in this case, Jesus' chosen apostles. And secondly, 
the importance of the Holy Spirit as the hallmark of Christian community, both unity and power for witness. Verse 25 concludes the account of the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, just as Jesus intended. Significant walls of religious division and cultural difference have been broken down. Jesus' kingdom is for all kinds of people in all places. All can be saved and become full members of his kingdom. As we reflect on Acts 8, we're forced to consider which boundaries we might cross with the gospel. Over the years, Christians have not been above sectarianism, and yet the kingdom of Jesus is one. Jews and Samaritans came together. Perhaps there are factions in our churches that we can bring together, divisions that can be healed, barriers that might be broken down. The divisions and the prejudices between Jews and Samaritans, well, they were legendary. And that's why Jesus' parable about the good Samaritan was so jarring. Samaritans can never be the good guys in a Jewish story, but in the Christian church, all are included. Jews and Samaritans come together. It is a necessary implication of the gospel itself. Jesus prayed that we, his church, would be united, that his people would be one. And this is why things happened as they did in those crucial early days. Jesus was building his church his way. I think another implication of the gospel crossing boundaries leads us to wonder about those situations and locations where we imagine God to be out of bounds. For example, we're supposed not to talk about Jesus to people of another faith. Is talking about Jesus culturally insensitive and therefore off limits? No doubt we have certain obligations to our employers or our workplace and its regulations that maybe limit some of us from calling our colleagues to Christian faith while we're at work, but that doesn't stop us from loving our colleagues with Christian love, from demonstrating our faith in our actions, nor does it limit our conversations with fellow workers to working hours only. If we are salt and light, let's be salty and bright. Are we ready to take the gospel across boundaries, across cultural boundaries, or what? who knows what boundaries they may be? But are we ready to make the most of whatever opportunities that we have before us? And if so, what's your next step? <music>